obviously know about the Wild West, we know about the car rights, we know about the ranching, but what were people doing before that? I think there was a lot going on in Arizona before the Wild West started settling around here. Alright, so we're sitting at the table here, and uh, Brett is bringing, I don't even know what this is. It's beautiful, though. Welcome, welcome <laughs> to the desert. <laughs> oh, it's out of his pocket. Whiskey. Are those... Uh, it was wine vinegar. Now it's vinegar. Interesting. And what is the... What is the... What's inside there? Oh, spruce tips. Okay. I thought those were the, the choya buds. Oh. I love those things. We have plenty. Plenty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is going to be great. <clears throat> Okay, yeah, and Brett, you can bring that bring that up closer. You can, if you can, scoot in a little bit. All right. Yeah, there you go. Perfect, perfect. And, um, sorry, what was your name again? Cody. Cody, okay. And Tammy. You said it was Corey. I All heard right. Corey. Chris, is it Chris, <laughs> Chris. right? Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> or Matt. Is it Matt? Jesus? That's yeah. no, pretty It's not Matt. Yeah. <laughs> All right, are we, are we ready? Yep. Ready. Mr. Macau, you ready? Yes. <laughs> I'm always ready. So we we came up with the nickname of Meerkat for him. Oh, cause, nice. Because he can't be Eric too, right? No, no, yeah, <laughs> so, right. Yeah, no. No. So my we wife, do not. No. We do not do double names. <laughs> no, no. So we're here in Cave Creek. We're at Cartwright's Modern Cuisine. Is that the correct name? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Tap that AZ podcast. I'm your host, Eric Walters. Tap that AZ. Brought to you by Arizona Food and Beer. I've got my co-host here, Tammy. What up? Tammy and Eric. What up? <laughs> Eric, Eric was looking at me too because uh, so the Tap That Easy is the official podcast now of Arizona Food and Beer. Nice. And I always forget to say it, yes. but I remember this time and it's on the air, not live. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so I've got the dudes from Cartwrights here with me. We've got a spread on the table of all kinds of stuff. This is forged stuff, right? Uh, almost everything. If, Everything is foraged or is grown on a local farm or we grew it ourselves. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And uh, this place is beautiful, Thank by you. the way. I walked in. That blew me away. This centerpiece, what is... Manzanita. Manzanita. 200 years old. Wow. It's a... Uh, I mean, for us, it's kind of a prize piece of the, of the restaurant. Obviously, uh, we're heavily focused on foraging. We're heavily focused on Arizona cuisine, not just making good food in Arizona, but making good Arizona food. <clears throat> so for us, it, it's, it's thriving on whatever is natural around us. So you know, we, we can use this for wood. We use it for smoking. We use it for burning in the fire. We harvest it for the berries. We, we preserve them. We use them all year round. It just, it, it's a beautiful, simple, but but nice uh, showpiece for the whole restaurant. I lived in Manzanita Hall at ASU. Oh, so nice. I can connect with that. I've been to Manzanita Hall at ASU. <laughs> Brett, what were you doing in Manzanita Hall? Just hanging around, yeah. wandering. I've been, a, I've been a wanderer my whole life. Have you? Yeah, okay. roaming. Not lost, just wandering. Yeah, right. Uh, so how did, how did this start? How did this whole, this whole thing start? Because it's, it's uh, you two yep. owners. Yep. And... Uh, you want to tell the story? Yeah, um, real quick. Uh, my name is Cody Heller. I'm one of the owners. My name's Brett Viber. I'm the chef and owner. So the restaurant's been here for going on 18 years now. Um, we both worked here for, I was here for three years. Chef was here for four years. So he actually approached the owners and said, I'm, I'm leaving. I want to go start my own thing. And the owner said, why don't you just stay and buy car rides? So... He called me up and said, hey, dude, we're buying cart rights. And I said, what are you, drunk right now? They're not selling cart rights. And he said, no, seriously, come over. So I went to his house, and he had legal documents that were drawn up that were, you know, it was legit. So it took us a while to figure out the financing, but after seven terrible months of letdown after letdown, it just uh, finally came through, and now here we are uh, a year, a little over a year into it. Did it, has it always had this? Uh, is there, well, there's some history. I mean, pretty deep history about right. Cartwright, that, right? Yeah, the, I mean, the Cartwrights, the Cartwright family is is really one of the one of the main reasons that Phoenix is the way it is now. They were they were have they, they were obviously ranchers by trade, and their ranch was just right up the road 
from where we're sitting, we still forage on their ranch. Do we're not, still, do not trespass up there. They do have not, cameras. Yeah. <laughs> you, need, you, need, uh, you, need, you need permission or, uh, or the right way around their cameras. So it's still a working ranch. Uh, it, it's, it's beautiful. Why they took it is because it's a, it's a awesome riparian wilderness right in the middle of the desert. They have 12 natural springs on it, but, but what they became known as was not just ranchers, but pillars of the community in a sense, for lack of a better, uh, phrase that, uh, they they invested heavily in bringing water to Phoenix. So they were the reason and the financers and part of the financing behind the Central Arizona project. So before Phoenix was Phoenix, it was called Pumpkinville because the only thing that would grow here was <laughs> pumpkins. It was and really, that was legitimately the name? Yeah, wow, that's for a, sure. That's awesome. uh, <laughs> the, the way you said that, I'm not sure. I'm a walking little uh, book of uh, Arizona so trivia. Yeah. <laughs> was it really Pumpkinville? Yeah, that was the only, those were the only things that grew. I will put your hand up. I put them both up. No one can see it, but they're both up. Uh, The only thing that would grow there were the pumpkins. So once the Central Arizona project was was financed, that was the first time since the ancient uh, people had lived here since since the Hohokams had had all of their water sources here. We knew that there had been a thriving civilization here, but no one had any water here. No one had any. No one had any sustainable water. The Salt River was unpredictable at best. It spilled over. It dried up. Uh, So they brought all of that water in. They refilled and and followed some of the old blueprints for the canals. And and that really helped Phoenix thrive. The central school district in Phoenix is the Cartwright School District. That's also named for the family. It was a time where a lot of people vacationed uh, in, in Arizona and it was when people took holidays. So they became good on and with the Wrigley family, they loved their cattle. The Cartwright's cattle ended up on Catalina Island. Uh, it's still there. The cattle, any cattle you see on Catalina Island is, is from the Cartwright brand and and from their, from their bloodline. So it's really cool. And we still being a native, I I still hold that deer. And in, after being in big cities for so many years is that's what you lose in the big city. For me, it was, it was lacking the intimate, the intimacy of being connected to it being connected I can make great food no matter where I am but 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 when I can live it, it it's so much different and and really that's what they were doing they were part of the community and helping any way they could <clears throat> and that's really all we're about at the end of the day yeah how have you based on what you just said how have you seen the culinary and this is a question for all of you sure how have you seen the, the <laughs> culinary stage kind of change with the farm to table, I hate to use farm to table right. because I think it's now just getting over yeah, overblown, we, and we, people don't truly understand it. They don't understand right. it. No, all. they don't. <clears throat> and let me let me tell you, for me, I probably figured that out about a year ago, mm-hmm. and I I started watching watching Chef's Table, one of my favorite shows <clears throat> ever. But what I always thought was farm to table that there's no pesticides, this that. But the reality is, it's it's the vibrancy of the food, the mm-hmm. look, the taste, and I don't ever hear that from anybody except for you guys in this industry. Right. So, you know, maybe talk a little bit about what you just spoke about and, and how you're seeing this transition take place. And are you seeing it, you know, still growing or is it kind of fading well, out? I think is it taking a different form? I think the biggest thing is the relationship we have with our farmers. Mm-hmm. Just knowing them, know, knowing how they operate, why they're growing certain things, the passion they put into it. It all carries through in the food. Right. That, that, I mean, that, that's exactly it is. I hate the terminology farm to table because that's where all produce grows. I I can go, that that's where fruit and vegetables grow or are at farms. The difference for us. And I think the difference for this generation of American chefs is that we, we want to know more than that. I've always served vegetables from a farm and they always end up on the table. What's the difference? Again, it's the intimacy. It's, it's just like Tammy said is, Who's the farmer? What's his name? How does he take care of his soil? Where did he get his soil from in the first place? Who's he friends with? Who mentored him? Is he a third generation farmer? Is he a first generation farmer? Is this a new farm? What's the dog's name? Do you get to go over there and help with the harvesting? Do you, do you, it, it, it's an old world feel that we, we didn't have, or maybe we did have before this generation of American chefs, but I really see a, a, a awesome food culture amongst a lot of American chefs now. And it's burgeoning in Phoenix. I grew up here. This is not what Phoenix was like when I was a youngster. Well, and when you say that, is that something you, you picked up in, in Italy? I know you spent time in Italy and Rome, right? Uh, I think the the biggest thing for me, that's always my biggest connection. My first connection to people is, is, you know, how do you do this or why do you do this? At any given time, we might be using 30 or 35 different farms at this, at this restaurant. And 
yeah, it takes a lot of work. But the big thing is my first, my first day in the pizza place in Italy, <clears throat> he told me to be there at nine in the morning. I got there at nine in the morning. He said, okay, go around the corner. There's two guys that sell tomatoes. Get the tomatoes from the guy on the left, not the guy on the right. My dad's been getting tomatoes from this guy on the left for three generations. His father and his father's father made tomatoes. Throughout the day, people were bringing basil in. People were bringing fresh oregano in, just in bags from their gardens, from their side of their yard or wherever it may be. And I, I, that's where I found, that's where I found or discovered my I, I already had that in me but I saw that there was other people there were other people doing it that way and and that's that wasn't trendy for them it wasn't to get them rich it wasn't it wasn't their concept it's it's how they live their life so that that again like it, it that's how I want to that's how I want to be a chef is I want to live my life through it I don't want to check out at the end of the day and I don't want to check back in at, at the beginning of the day you want to live your life through it and you do right like you this is you you do the farming you you're you're, you were up at what, like, this one morning? in the morning? <laughs> no, I, I probably went to bed around one. Uh, probably went to bed around one. Uh, we were up at we were up at four forty-five this morning because, again, with 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 natural farms and farms that aren't in greenhouses and farms that aren't in hothouses and farms that aren't really protected like that. One, you need to be up before nature because you're battling against it. And and again, with our foraging, we're just vamping up into foraging. We spend the whole spring. We spend it's a year round, even though we're harvesting for only four or five months a year. It's a year-round project. We're checking snowpacks, which we had none of this year. We're checking spring runoff. We're checking for scouting, <clears throat> you know, new plants, new growth, things like that. And now we're starting to, you know, get into harvesting season. So, so yeah, as, as the harvest starts to come around, if I if I get there at noon, then there's <clears throat> no saguaro fruit and there's no cactus fruit, and they've all been destroyed by bugs and birds and deer and whatever it may be. And and that's great. And that's that for me is. 90% of living things are out there foraging and living off of the land. We're really the only species that that doesn't do it. It stuff. That, right, that yeah, doesn't yeah. do it prevalently. <laughs> I, and I think it's so, it, the food here, it, it fits, it feels right when, when it's from around here. If, it, if it's naturally capable of growing around here, whether it's foraged or farmed, we don't use anything that's not in season. Again, we, you know, there's no hot houses or greenhouses forcing things into season. Uh, it, it's just a really unique kind of thing. It shouldn't be because it's natural, but right. it, it's, it's become, it, it's, it's so intimate for me that it, it, I, I can't describe it most of the time. Well, Tammy, you had told me too about when, because you were, when, when you and I had, had uh, grabbed coffee that one day, you were talking, tell me about him. Right. Right. And it, can you describe to me how you described him? I, I honestly don't <laughs> just remember. Just put it on the spot. No, I'm just teasing. But no, the, the thing that you were saying about how impressed you were with just his approach. And there was, there was a word you used to, I can't remember what it is now, but it's, it's a sense of place. Yeah, the it's terroir. That, like yes. That's, it's everything. It's where you live. It's, there's a reason why you should eat food in the area you live in, where you put your feet in the dirt. Like, you should be eating that. And it's not necessarily a health thing. It's more of a spiritual connection you have with the land around you. It's a respect thing. Everything tastes different. There's a reason why you can give a seed, the same seeds, to two different farmers, and they're going to make things differently, and that <clears throat> has everything to do with the terroir. Yeah. But I, I believe it's really important in, in everything we do. I think... If people get back to that kind of thing, it can change the way people live their lives. Are, are you, I go back to maybe the question that I, that I just asked. Oh, yeah. Are you seeing a change in the industry from a chef standpoint with old school chefs burning the candle both ends, dying in the kitchen, not having relationships, and, and you know, hearing you kind of describe the, the horticulture, is that the right word for growing horticulture? Mm -hmm. and, and, and understanding where everything's coming from. It's almost like I'm hearing, I'm hearing two different generations. It's like you, it sounds like your generation has immersed in the business in a different way than chefs did maybe 20, 30 years ago. Definitely, I, uh, on a number of different levels. One, how I think how I think this generation of chefs are treating food. You're, you're finally seeing a generation of American chefs rather than the generation before and previous to that. You saw 
typically, and again, this is my own experience, I, I, I worked through chefs that had gone somewhere and come back to do that kind of food. So I'd work for a chef that had been in Italy and he'd come back, he'd been in predominantly Italian food, or a chef that had been to France, came back and did predominantly French food. We, we found our own way. America is a luscious melting pot of culture, and, and that, that's, the, that's the cool thing about it is we've, we've found a way to put our own stamp, I think, our own culture on food. And that <clears throat> that's all food is, is just live, is culture. Mm-hmm. It's just... But I think it's just starting. Like, there's, right. not, there's hardly anybody doing what you're doing. And that's what makes it so incredible. And why I was telling you about him is because he's one of the only people that puts everything into it and cares so much about food in Arizona. Um, for the last few months, I've been talking to you about the problem we have here is nobody can tell you what Arizona food is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a major problem because we have something that's so unique to the rest of the world that it, it should be big and people should know what it is and come here specifically for that. Right. But you come up here to Cave Creek and it's here. And most people don't know that. It's mm-hmm. right here. It's beautiful the way it's presented. It's done in a way that it's not intimidating. You're going to eat some weird shit out of the <laughs> desert and you're going to enjoy it and you're going to tell people about it. The, the major problem with that is you're not going to be able to go back down to the city and find it anywhere. Right. The and only I, way- I tend to be, I, I think I create my own bubble sometimes as, as again, I, I'm, <clears throat> we're not trying to, I'm not trying to be on the cutting edge of, of any, I'm, I'm trying to live the, my life through food the best way that I can the best way that I see fit. And, and like, like I've, I've been in a lot of big cities, I've been in a lot of small towns, but for me, this is, this is where my heart and my soul are. And, and, and through the food is, is the only way that I can, I like telling stories and, and this is the way we tell stories here. So we always tell people like, well, you can come here for dinner, but I want you to come here for an experience. And people don't realize that that experience includes him in the middle of a giant thunderstorm going camping (laughs) so he can go forge cattails. (laughs) Like they, they seriously, they're, they're genuine pirates. They wait for the thunderstorms to come and then they pack everything up and drive through the washes. We're waiting for the hurricane where this most weekend. Where people die. <laughs> and they wave, you know, they waver the storm and collect things and they live for it. Why? It's not something they just do cuz it's necessity. They do it because they're like it's a calling. Yeah. If that makes sense. And it's a family thing. I think one thing that's that Cody and I and touch on it if you will is <laughs> we want we want to and again, it goes back to culture. We want a culture here. We want everyone to love working here, and we want to love everyone that works for us. And and I think that starts to seep out as well. Our servers know everything about our food. They they live it too. They come foraging with us. They they know they know about. You know, we sit down and we talk about it all the time. We'll have tonight. Even though there's only a, but a few servers, we'll have everything out tonight that that we that we pulled in this morning. So they know like. You're, you're going to see this on the menu. You're going to see wild, wild water crest pesto on the menu tonight. So just listening to what you're saying as an outsider, right, as, as the, the novice, I used that in the last podcast mm-hmm. we had, what is foraging for, for somebody who has no idea what you're talking about right now? Uh, foraging is living off the fat of the land. So uh, but how does that apply here? For, for, us, for us, we, just, we follow the natural seasons of wild food in, in Arizona. So... Tammy touched on how Arizona is such a unique place. The geography of Arizona is, is it, it wraps around the world. It's why we have a wine country. It's why we have pine tree forests. It's why we have desert. We have sub-Saharan style deserts. <clears throat> we have vegetated deserts. We're, we're right on the edge, luckily here in Cave Creek, of the Colorado Plateau and the Sonoran Desert. So I can go to the Rocky Mountains literally an hour and a half north and I, and I find anything that anyone else in the Rocky Mountains would people don't typically think of that when Arizona, but I also have this chunk of a lush ancient sea that's now a desert and still full of vegetation. The Sonoran Desert, it's so full of life, it's inspiring while you're there when when you're just pulling food off of the trees. And, and, and again, I, Tammy touched on it perfectly. I think, I think there's a lot of great chefs and a lot of great food in Phoenix nowadays and Arizona in general. That's the biggest thing. There's a lot of good chefs outside of Phoenix that don't get any recognition. Flagstaff's got some great restaurants and, and, and things like that. But <clears throat> I would love to see people embrace more of what Arizona food should be traditionally, historically, anciently, whatever it may be, we're in, we're in a unique pocket of the world that, that, allows our, that allows us to do that. And 
you know where to find us if you want to go on a trip. <laughs> <laughs> you I don't need know to if go. I don't. I, I, I want to. You need to go on a I, trip. I think, yeah, uh, there are very yeah. yeah there, there's various different kinds of trips. So I'm mm. my. <clears throat> Our crew's unbelievable. My my guys in in my kitchen, they're they're unreal. They they work. Everyone typically in Phoenix and Arizona, at least our demographic, we get used to slowing down in the summer. And while that's probably typical of our the volume of customers we do and our sales, my guys are working at nearly twice as much as they do during the peak season because they're work. <clears throat> they need to cover the restaurant, but they're usually packed and ready to go. All their trucks are packed and ready to go all the time now because they, they might not go home after work tonight. Oh, wow. And, okay. and, and that means they're up. Or if, as soon as these saguaros get going and they're out right now scouting for them, they drop me off to, just so I can be back here. <clears throat> as soon as the saguaros go, I mean, they're, they're, it's better to go at midnight sleep for a couple hours maybe or just as soon as the sun creeps up and you can get some a little bit of light on those saguaros you're pulling them down and 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 that that's what that's what they got to do yeah. <clears throat> and and so i i our, our crew again like we're, we talked about our servers it's the 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 kitchen is unreal at the same time they're some of these guys have been, we've been cooking together for 11 years and it, if you know a bit of the industry, that's that's a pretty long. Those are oh, pretty yeah. long marriages, and to have a couple of those in this kitchen, it's amazing. Yeah, I when I uh, <clears throat> when I first was out here, I worked at the Phoenician. Mm -hmm. We opened the Phoenician. Oh, nice! And we had some cactus in the back that had a red fruit uh -huh. on the top, and and we were working crazy hours, so I was forging off mm -hmm. off the land, and we would take those. I I don't know what what it's called. It's a the prickly pear. Prickly pear. Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was awesome. Yeah. So that's my connection to foraging. And hey, all, someone's got you got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. Uh, I think it's intimidating to some people that uh, you know. We, where where do I go? What do I do? And you start small. Or is it safe to eat? I've seen no. recently yep. somebody foraged a bunch of yucca flowers yep. and got sick from eating too many of them. Mm -hmm. ah. And the thing with the desert is you don't want to eat. I mean, it's it's healthy to eat some, but you don't gorge yourself on it. <laughs> I mean, you went out there in the desert anyway. You're only going to find so much. And you find yeah. that anywhere with natural, with, with natural foods. There, there, there's a balance in nature. There should be a balance in your diet. You don't. Absolutely. It, it goes as far as harvesting. We never take everything that's there. You also don't want to eat a bunch, all a bunch of one thing. It, it's, it's not good for your body. It's not good for your body physically. It's not. It's not. It, it just doesn't balance out in nature. And it. it yeah. For me, trying to find that balance in nature. Again, through the food is is just the way the flavor should be balanced, and and it's easier for me to do it with foods that are natural to here because, like Tammy touched on, it's 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 already here. Yeah, it, it's natural. It's it wants to be here. We didn't force it to grow somewhere it didn't want to grow, and and to find it to pair up to something a little a little bit is is quite easy because again we have. We have the game and we have the beef and, and everything around here to, to pair up with it well. And it's quite a natural feeling when, when you taste it that you don't, you don't have to, you don't, you're not forcing anything. And I think that's where the simplicity comes in, but you also, you get the profound flavor. Yeah. And there, yeah. there really, there really doesn't seem to be anything in the Valley like Cartwrights, if, if I'm, if there I'm really correct. Isn't. I mean, we, we have Kai, it's a five diamond, five star resort restaurant. Um, it's beautiful what they do there, but for the average person, it's really hard to sure. get there. And that's how I, I again, you also, I've, we've tried to move away. I know we always, <clears throat> a, a thing in the industry, we all, I want a smaller menu mm -hmm. and, and so I can do, so we can strive to be perfect on each dish. You used to see these huge menus and these yeah. books of menus and pages and pages and pages and, and and we can just, it's not streamlined. It's just, again, if things are simple, then, then it doesn't, it's not overthought. It's not overworked and, and it, and it shines through and we don't have to, we don't have to charge an arm and a leg for it. And it, and that goes also back to the relationships you have with the farmer. So I can get great, maybe I can get something that's really close and it tastes awesome, but the farmer just has no idea how to charge accordingly and they don't work with you and they're not a proper business person as well. Well, then that's not smart to buy from them either. So it's, it, again, it's all working together and trying to find that balance in a world of chaos. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool standing in the eye of the storm. <laughs> he never it is. Moves. I agree. He never moves out of the eye of the storm. I don't think like, he does, thrives no. there. I think he is the eye of the storm. He, he would <laughs> wilt if he wasn't in the eye yeah. of the storm, but it's cool. I think another difficult thing for Phoenix chefs is, 
the food's not defined. Like Arizona food's not defined, but that's also what makes it really cool because it's like archaeology, figuring out what foods exist, how to make something out of it, how to put that into your diet. And it, it's for me, it's super exciting mm -hmm. just because well, it doesn't tell you what you have to do. Uh, 20 years ago, I could barely meet anybody that was from Phoenix. Mm -hmm. It's a melting pot. So the, the culinary scene, yeah. well, the culinary scene absolutely is reflective of that. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. People bring their comfort foods, and that's what they look for. That's why when you go to Phoenix, you see so many different kinds of restaurants, amazing food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's not Arizona food because no. that's what people want. They want that comfort from wherever they came from, which is good and bad. Right. right. I mean, it, it's definitely a reason, which I've heard this said recently, why we don't have more James Beard nominees and why Phoenix isn't recognized is because it's hard to say what is Phoenix. Where you mm -hmm. go to Texas, you know what Texas cuisine is. Yeah. You just expect it and you know. Right. But and here you, it's yeah. <clears throat> the Pacific Northwest, we have a group of foragers that work up there and we end up, I go fishing with our guys that send us our seafood once a year or twice a year, and, and I leave in a few weeks, but th their their cuisine is so defined up there and, and, and through tradition and through history. And like she said, anthropology and archaeology, they, they, they have a defined cuisine, and, and, and that's, that's the only thing where Phoenix or Arizona needs to bring it up. There's very few and far between restaurants. To meet someone like her here is... is great for me it's and like i'm a fine. baby it, i don't know what i'm doing it's like it's i like, would knows. disagree i would <laughs> right. disagree i strongly disagree yeah, i actually have a comment for you on that that i didn't share with you yet but i but before i say that to you how do you define the the arizona culture culinary scene like what what is arizona well i think it's like? i for me it, it touches through in our concept. We, are, we are obviously know about the Wild West. We know about the car rights. We know about the ranching. But what were people doing before that? I think that's where people get lost out on the west side of the U.S. is what, what was going on before that. There was a lot going on in Arizona before, yeah, before the Wild West started settling around here. So, so for me, it's, it's a step, it steps further back into the past. And what, what were people eating here before before cattle came out and before that became prevalent. That's awesome. Uh, oh, yeah, so <laughs> we, yeah, why don't you share? Yeah, that's a, that's a shiny thing you put right he across my view. He just pulled out a big shiny thing. Yeah. It <laughs> is, right, uh, right across my side of vision. Yeah. So I went. I did an episode with Bottle Breacher out of Tucson. Yep. So they do the. Uh, they make bottle openers. They make all kinds of stuff oh, out of like military stuff. And he etched during my visit. That's he etched. So cool. Tap that easy podcast. So we're getting there. ready to drink a beet beer from the shop. Yes. And that's pretty exciting. But one of the, one of the things that I wanted to add to that is what our farmers are doing. So one of the farmers I work with is um, Ramona Button. She has Ramona Farms and. She actually is the reason why we have tepary beans. Tepary mm -hmm. beans was it's something that is unique to Arizona. It almost disappeared completely. Mm -hmm. The elders asked her to, to grow it, and she found a glass jar in a hut that was owned by her father and started growing these. And if it wasn't for that, it wouldn't exist anymore at all. It'd be disappeared from history. Nobody would know what it is. Really? But the thing is, is you find... You find less than a handful of chefs that know that, that appreciate that and respect that part of the tradition. Most chefs will see it on a menu and say, oh, I got to have that and I'll have a tepary bean, this or that on, on the menu. And, but where the, again, it's, it goes back to the farm to table connection. Do, mm -hmm. do you know, do you know the history? Do you know the people? Do you know their family? Do you, do you know the struggles they went through to get you this awesome they, product? They do it all by hand. Yep. They don't use machines. When you get corn from them, it's freshly roasted over mesquite. They grind it by hand. It, everything comes to you fresh. When you smell it, like I think I've had you smell it before. It's like peanut butter. It's so oh, insane. Yes. The smell of the corn. You don't find that anywhere. And it's I've never in my life found that anywhere. And that's something we have here that it just it's what the desert smells like. Yes. That, that was that was an interesting thing when we had the uh, the beer dinner that you did. Um, that my wife met Ramona and she loved her. Like she, she sat right beside her. She's like, that woman was amazing. She's, she's like, so I just amazing. had, she's like, I just had this feeling about her. Um, but I think that was when you say the, the smell of the desert, the last thing that you did, it was, it was the dessert. I don't remember what it was. The creosote. And it had like the, the dry ice in it. Yeah. And it had the, what is, what it's, is the, 
Is that creosote? Is that the smell? Yeah, like it's a it desert rains. rain smell. Yeah, that's, that's what that's what people think they're smelling rain in the desert. It's, yeah. it's the it's the creosote that you're yeah. smelling. Have it's, you smelled that? I, I'm a storm chaser, so yeah. Same. Oh, yeah, you're same. Same. Going, you, same. Need, you need some <laughs> lightning pictures here. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean do. that's we always smell that before the storm. Right, comes, it, absolutely. It, it's great. I mean, we were talking. Uh, about if you are a storm chaser, you end up catching yourself in a microburst, and that was a conversation <laughs> I, I was having with someone yesterday. And and that that's you all you. I've never been in a tornado. I've never been around a tornado. But right before a microburst, it is deathly quiet because all of the wildlife is has fled the area, taking cover, and and all you can smell is the creosote. It's quiet, deathly quiet, and you can just smell creosote, and you need to find cover. Yeah. <laughs> Or if you're you, you run right into it, right? I mean, right I, right I, I try and stay inside of something, but it, in the middle of it, because yeah. I'll tell you what, it's uh, nature's greatest show. Ah, I bet. And That's I mean, uh, and I know, I know it was brought up earlier about the flash floods, but it, over the course of growing up here and learning the ways of the land, I think from my father and and family and things of that sort is is. It, it is our lifestyle and we're not just wandering around in the desert and <clears throat> we're not just trying to find a flash flood. And there's, there's places I've been to hundreds, if not thousands of times in Arizona that I've been back to over and over and over again. <clears throat> and, and we've, we've found some spots that are safer to yeah. catch nature, uh, in it's all of its fury and glory, but, <laughs> but, uh, it, it's, it's not, it's n- it's not something for beginners probably all of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Now you, and I don't know, I don't think you really dug into this, but uh, Timu was telling me there's a whole system to your foraging, right? It's like, like as far as like you have different tiers and and things like that, right? Where you're training people to the different. Right. So usually, usually guys in their first year, they, they go with, they, they're always with someone. After Mother's Day, we always, to back up a little, we always switch our schedule. So guys go onto the foraging schedule and guys keep running the kitchen and operating it obviously during the day and, and early in the mornings, but uh, in their first year, they, they have to be with someone and, and they usually stay in the desert and they usually don't go on overnights with us. And, and, and that, that's safety first, not to be cliche, but it, yeah. it, it is. It, and it's, it's a mentorship. It's an apprenticeship on, on, on their end that, that they're learning a bit about it. And, and it goes back to our hiring process. We we do week long stages for guys so that they're they they get to feel and see how we work because it's it's quite different how I think our kitchen works uh, compared to others. It's quiet all the time and that that's weird to people. But but my guys again, they're all exactly like me. Their their passions are the same. Their drives, their goals, their challenges, ev- everything is the same. Uh, and and you render yourself an outcast quite quickly if, if you don't go through that process with okay, us. So yeah. uh, after their first year, they, <clears throat> they'll get desert shifts and, and that's when they usually start going up into the mountains with us. The mountains gets, the mountains get a little bit different for us. You know, you, you are ending in, ending up in water that's flowing year round. You are ending up probably in more prevalent wildfire country and you're ending up in, spots where you know we are using ropes and we're climbing and we're getting down into spots where where people can't or animals can't uh and 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 getting things that we want and need so so that before they would ever have a shift a foraging shift or a trip on their own they would be in their third year of having worked at cartwright okay and gotcha. and so there's not a, there's not many guys that or they'd be past their third year of working with me so while there's a couple of guys that that fit that realm and, the, and they've, and they've been here for that long. It, it's mostly the guys that, that came with me when, when the, when we took this over in the first place is I've known them for more than a decade and their, their lines of sight are quite similar with mine. Are, are there, are there some things that are like the golden ticket of foraging? Saguaro fruit. Oh really? The truffle, hard, hard the truffle find. of the desert. And, really? and this year is insane. There's so many. It's it's, it's like easy to find. Exploding. I can I can see them out the window right now. But it's it's. Oh, oh right oh. outside. <laughs> wow. I look. I'm like, how the hell do you see right. all the yeah, way? Yeah, that's that my mountain. X-ray. That's my superhero <laughs> like, vision. That's unreal. Uh, no, they are right outside the window. It's it's an amazing year for them. Here the the historical and contemporary difficulty in harvesting them. Yeah. You have to go 40, up. 40, 50 feet off the ground. <laughs> wow. Really? No one's got 
no one has no one has an apparatus most of the time. So natives, when they used to harvest them, there there was a real societal break and a hierarchy through through society based off who had the longest harvesting pole for the mm. saguaro. You know, because if you fell one that was 30 feet and then your neighbor fell one that was 50 feet, he was more apt to be able to feed his family quite better. Hmm. Wow, you well, guys need like some trampoline sort so of thing, right? <laughs> how we do it now, the guys actually just, like I said, that they're out scouting the saguaros. Now, it's, it's the, again, physically getting them and then it's the timing yeah. of, of it, the, 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 the time frame for getting it before they flower, flower falls off, and they're going to start to ripen. By the, between them ripening, exploding, and then falling right off of the cactus, you're, we're not days, we're hours. Really? So that's why these guys are leaving at midnight. They're up at 345. If they open a little bit, bugs are starting in on it. As soon as the sun comes up, nature starts to wake up, and... And everything is going, anything that can fly is going for it. If it opens up on the plant, once it falls, yeah. game over, buddy. And, so, and what do you make with it? Sorry, Eric. No, what, it's okay. What, what, what kind of dishes do you use? That I mean, we, a, a number of things. Uh, we always, we always want to preserve parts of our harvests from each harvest. We want to preserve maybe one third of it or one quarter of it so that we can continue our, our feel into the wintertime. Wintertime should be preserved wild foods and preserved foods that were from your last harvest and from your harvest throughout the summer. So we're canning, jarring, and preserving <clears throat> throughout the year. Uh, that That's probably where <clears throat> where we run with it the, the most. Hmm. And so do you use it like, can you use this one as like kind of that gauge of so the guys in the kitchen know, hey, if this is... Like, or am I just way off base with that? No. That, I mean, like, that's like the, 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 la, bat, the, like la, the bat phone. The, no. Ready, <laughs> guys, go, go. Yeah, it's China from the roof. It's a big, that big CW if you've seen it around. It's, uh, that's how you know to, sh to roll up here. Uh, no, I, I, we definitely use them as a gauge. Mm. The other funny thing about wild harvesting is that soil is not the same as that soil. Uh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. that didn't get the same runoff that that got. And and you know we're we're yeah. spanning a pretty large area of when that is so we're we're constantly moving around we have we have spots plotted out that we go back to that we constantly check on throughout the year again to see the growth to see if there's runoff you can see the saguaros are super dried up this year yeah. they're really ribby and they're really sucked up we haven't had very much rain so you see them puff up as soon as hopefully we get a little bit of rain but the, <clears throat> as far as applications go i last year the guys use a, they made a chili and saguaro broth for a lot of sashimi mm. uh and and that went quite nice uh we use the fruit on a number of things from dessert to savory and, and and quite honestly a lot of the desert forage pairs up really well with fish and and that's a fairly large part of my background and and so it naturally happened it naturally uh goes amazing together okay. nopales prickly the prickly pear fruit <clears throat> same same types of things we try and pickle some of it obviously we're taking the seeds here's the seeds from each saguaro fruit has thousands of seeds in it mm. wow yeah those and are so tiny. we don't those we are, don't use yeah. sesame seed here we don't use poppy seed here we have barrel cactus seeds and we have saguaro cactus seeds wow question if somebody why? if if somebody is allergic to peanuts and seed allergies would that fall in line with that or is it typically no it's i wouldn't i wouldn't feed the seeds to them but they would be fine with nuts so we we have <clears throat> we have people that are concerned of that i think again our, our servers and our kitchen staff quite in tune to allergies and yeah. things of that sort that that nuts this wouldn't affect but seeds i would i wouldn't feed it to them just because i don't know much of the research on it yeah. To, to, to shift just a little bit, mm -hmm. I, I'd love to go back to the comment that I had for yeah. you, Tammy. Um, she was like, I was hoping you would forget. <laughs> but okay, I, go ahead, I, Tommy. <laughs> I would love to get your take on the culinary scene that is taking place in Phoenix. I had lunch uh, this past week with Jason McGrath and David of, I forgot David's last name, of uh, Fork and Fig. Okay. And something that was amazing to me is... I asked them, what's, what's your favorite restaurant in town? And they brought you up, and they said you are one of the best chefs in this town. So oh, I'm blushing the, right now. The fact, that, <laughs> the is, fact that you said <laughs> you're so young at this, then the sky's the limit for you. No, I, and, I was, and, and, sorry. No, let me just finish the thought, because it was very interesting, because you're at a brewery. 
And, right. and it's not typical, but that's part of the evolution that's taking place. AZ Food and Wine, the presenting sponsor here, we're focusing, on, or food and beer, we're focusing on the culinary scene, the beer scene, and it's, it's emerging and so interesting. Oh yeah, I've I've I'm a big beer nerd, so obviously I want to and and I'm so big on pairings. So that's something I've I've always been passionate about, but when I say I'm a baby in this, I've been in kitchens for over 20 years, oh, wow. but I haven't found my voice in who I am and what I want to do maybe in the past 5 years. Really? So I am really young at it. Just when I when I realized that it was art because I'm an artist so when I realized that food was art it changed everything for me like when I realized oh I do not need to do anything that everybody else is doing like mm -hmm. it, it made it interesting and no longer was I a line cook you know I was yeah. creating stuff and that was everything for me so being and I grew up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere and foraging was something we did naturally mm -hmm. I never thought of it as foraging we just had stuff me we either. We were camping, it. backpacking. This is this is where we it's lived, just, and it's yeah. just, it's just it was part of life. Yeah. And so yeah. now that I live in the city, it's a lot different. Um, it was brought to my attention just because there's urban foraging. Most people don't realize all the edible stuff in their neighborhoods, in mm -hmm. their own yards. Yeah. And the fact that there's more edible food in the desert than any other ecosystem mm -hmm. is wow. insane. And I didn't realize that when I was a kid, but it's just always been ingrained in me. So now I'm kind of touching base with that, and it's very organic. My, the knowledge is very organic. It's not something that was taught to me, really. It's just something that I kind of pick up because it does mean something to me, and it's something that I want part of my life. I don't want to cook because I want to cook. I, I cook because it's a deeper meaning. It makes my life meaningful it's, I think I've touched with you the 10,000 hours thing where you don't, yeah. don't waste your time doing something you don't enjoy because you'll become a master of doing something you don't enjoy. Yeah. Spend all your time doing something that is going to make you a master at everything in life you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. So if you're not happy, like change it up, do something else, figure out what your path is. It doesn't need to be already carved out because who even cares about that? I'm, I never go on paths anyway. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're looking at the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't, but that's why we connected so well is because he's doing something like the way his kitchen runs is I wish I could run that way. Just, just for the fact that everything has a meaning like, he, he sees something he wants to use. He might not know how it should be used, but he makes it used in a way that he would want to eat it or he'd want to share it with people, share the story with people. And that's super meaningful. That, that gives you, it, it's part of the culture here and it gives people something to be proud of. Like I'm from Arizona. This is what we have here. It's not, it's not Southwest food. It's no. more beautiful than that. It's deep, it's ancient, it's smoky. It's full of so many smells and flavors and history is you hear storytelling like native storytelling that's in the food too i mean that spirit goes way back to a time when it was eating was spiritual it was not for nourishment you ate certain things because it it had you needed a it presence. from the earth right what just going back to this change that you experienced five years ago is that what you said it was it was somewhere kind of, around then yeah what was it what was the what happened i just i had some really good chefs that kind of they didn't tell me what to do but they told me don't do it that way and I had to figure out myself you know mm. and just seeing that things done in a different way um one of my chefs Josh Reisner he he was at Atlas Bistro and Pig and Pickle he, he's just fucking crazy <laughs> damn we told you to watch <laughs> your fucking on show. and everything everything he does is inside <laughs> out like if you do something he's going to do it completely opposite and just seeing that Mm -hmm. um, meant so much to me. I don't know. I, it's, it changed my thought process on everything to do with food. Interesting. So. I don't know what I'm doing here, but Brett just dipped a stick in some liquid, and I just so Eric's, it. Eric's gonna <laughs> spruce tip vinegar. Start <laughs> eating some stuff that may or may not kill him. Yeah, right. Spruce, spruce tip vinegar. As we 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 do collaborations here once a month, and oh, man, that's and, real good. And I end up out and about I think mm. from time to time and that's from uh, the last trip to the Hood Canal was was spruce tip season and we uh, smuggled some back on in 
That's really interesting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I put vinegar on everything. I uh, love vinegar. Me yeah. Too. It's one yeah. of my favorites. Wow. Yeah. You want to try it? Super healthy too, right? Vinegar yeah. is super good for you. Yeah. Yep. Um, I don't think it should. Oh yeah. <laughs> don't use, don't use my oh, stick. What else? So what else do we got here in front of us? Um, uh, so we touched on toasted barrel cactus seeds. Uh, that, that's kind of the beginning of foraging season for us. It's usually one of the first things that we find are, you know, nice orange, uh, barrel cactus. Uh, saguaro, the saguaro seeds were in front of us, uh, an amazing relationship. Uh, we, we've forged really in the last year. And what's nice is it's about how old his farm is, is, uh, our buddy, John Naughton owns mountain sky farms and he's only about 12 minutes away from me was that the guy from the ribo farm yeah you met you met him yeah yeah yeah. he's awesome yeah i mean he's 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 the epitome of who you want to work with when you're working farm to table so when i start out this venture it there there's still some reaching for the people you have to depend on i can depend on myself and my crew for the foraging but the farmer i said like we mentioned it, it it's a it's a deeply sacred relationship to yeah. me. I, I don't, I don't, I can't just go buy from any farm. And again, when, when the realization came that we were starting a restaurant and he was going to be so close to me, it, it felt so natural that numerous people were getting us together, Yeah, you know, and have you met John Naughton? No. And we finally met one another and it, it felt organic it felt natural what he was doing how he wanted to operate and get things to to the chef was exactly what i want i I don't i don't want to call a produce company and say i need 50 pounds of carrots i need white onions i need red onions i I want to see my onions growing in the ground i want i want to know what how how you fed he he's he's open to everyone he before I do anything with my menu, he's the first person I sit down. Whether it's a special menu or whether it's our hard menu, we sit down and we talk for hours about how he can do it, what he can do, what might be better for him to grow at this time of year. And, hey, are you open to taking this off and putting this on? I have this yeah. seed that I really want to get in the ground. And, and again, we're a year in. I've been, right. I've been a chef for a long time. I've been cooking for over 20 years, but we're just a year into to the dream of having our own spot to do what, what, what we see fit w- with it and to treat the food exactly how we want to. And, and he, he, without him, I wouldn't be able to be doing what I am doing, how I'm doing it. Yeah. Well, I, I like that. And that's interesting too, because, um, you guys, you're not approaching it as like, okay, how do we open this up and, the, and the open up a chain of these restaurants? Right. How do we? Ma- you guys are are creating this this. Uh, I don't want to say once in a lifetime. That's not the the right word, but this super unique spot that you're not going to be able to get this anywhere it's else. Definitely a destination. Right. Yeah, yes. it gives people when when they come out here. It's, I'm sure you get lots of touristy people, mm-hmm. but it, it gives them. It's not a generic feel of what Arizona is. It's like real. This is yeah. what it is. Right. right. I don't want it to be hokey. I don't want it to be kitschy. But I want when people are planning a trip to Arizona, I want, <clears throat> I want, and I feel that Cartwright should be that restaurant. If you really want to have something and embrace all things Arizona cuisine, spanning the spectrum, yeah. come come here and see how we present it. Yeah. And you guys, I think if I read correctly, you bury food sometimes, right? Cook in the ground. I don't say bury food. That's mm-hmm. not yeah, yeah, it's we, Arizona barbecue. Yeah. You bury we, it in the yeah. ground. <laughs> we, uh, we have a, a profoundly large uh, fire pit in my, on my property. And uh, we, we preserve things a lot of ways through, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a sous chef that grew up uh, on the Navajo reservation in New Mexico, embraced with with their cultural traditions as well, and and, and he shares, you know, that bridge from from the past to now. And and so a couple of years ago, we we really got on. I, I love corn. It, it it's a it's a great ingredient. It's a staple of Arizona agriculture. <clears throat> but you know how how are, we have just but two times at, at, at harvest a year in Arizona, and how do we how do we present corn and the, the, the spawn of it came from how do we present corn in January in an Arizona style way? You said, well, I mean, we all, we knew of the steam corn that the Navajos keep and that's how they preserve their corn at the end of harvest. They used to dig, well, they still do. They dig huge tracks into the dirt uh, and they'll light a 
big hot mesquite fire i mean the hottest fire you felt and uh they'll bring all of the corn so they cut the corn so you see a lot of farmers waste and just go through and pick the corn off then they'll cut it all down and that goes hopefully to something good but a lot of times it doesn't so with this they are harvesting the whole plant utilizing the whole plant so that's appealing to me but you you're going to take that fire and as soon as the last flame goes away and it hasn't ashed over it's still hot 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 yeah you're going to get into it basically and dig half of that fire out next to it uh and then we take the corn off of the stalks and you throw half of the stalks right down onto that fire all of your ears of corn still wrapped in husk uh, on top of that, the rest of the stalks, and then you fill the fire back in with all of that hot coal. Uh, and you cover it with a big metal top that has a hole in the middle. I would dump about 15 gallons of water down it and then cover that with dirt so it keeps nice pressure on top of it. And really all you're going to see is just a nice hot plume of steam coming out all day about 12 hours later or a shift or so later, uh, we, we usually go back, we'll dig it all back up, uh, eat some of it, because it's beautiful and amazing when it's freshly done. Yeah. Uh, but the rest of it all gets braided up, tossed over a line that get, that lets it dry in the sun, and, and then as soon as it's dried, it's it's preserved, and it's fine to keep all winter. Oh, wow. It, has there, anybody ever She's made a mistake that. in yeah, making it, it and it turns into Jiffy Pop? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> the desert just popping. Yeah, no, not yet. There's been uh, there's been some interesting nights, but it's uh, it's not exploded on me yet. Yeah. <laughs> what awesome. we've done yeah. I've, is, you know, after we start doing that with our corn, and you start, uh, you know, conversing with people or like-minded people, and it's not always chefs. There, there, there's people that just live their life this way, and and that's how you should live your life. But uh, they, they just. <clears throat> everyone finds a way to to naturally harvest it all yeah wow that is that is crazy See, you're not gonna find another chef out here that does no. that i'm just saying no i think it's awesome i mean maybe <laughs> maybe but there have probably been a sous chef here before yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know we um, have guys that are moving on uh this summer one of one of our sous for the last three years is moving on to an acquaintance's restaurant that he's a he's a fledgling restaurant and he's up in prescott and and he's also embracing you know, that he can change his menu all the time. And, you know, he's right in the middle of a melting pot. He's right on, he's on the southern edge of what I'm on the northern edge of. Prescott's yeah. only an hour away. And, and w- there's a lot of cross traffic there. And, and, and it'll be a perfect outlet for you. And that's, that's the best you can see is that at some point you hope that, that all of your guys have left here and gone to make an impact somewhere else. That, that, that kind of brings back that question that I started to ask earlier is, you know, what's, what's your guys, both of your takes on on the the growing community here of chefs, sous chefs, and, and the expansion and, and how they're, you know, maturing and, and moving out? What's your what's your favorite restaurant outside of Cartwright's and your place, Elio? Um, you know, I'm sure everybody would love to know that. I'm, I'm a giant fangirl of F&B and always have been. Mm. I, I would say Charlene's definitely my favorite chef out here. What she does is insane. How she makes things taste—they're so simple, but um, I, I love what they do there. They make their own wine. I mean, she's always embraced Arizona agriculture in a way that nobody else does. So I, I definitely think that's always been my favorite place, and I've always looked up to her and what she does. But it's hard to say. Like, it's hard to take favorites when it comes down to it because everybody's doing so many mm-hmm. different things. There's so many incredible chefs out here that are passionate about what they do and they put their entire lives into it and there's a lot of zero waste kitchens and they care so much about that there's a lot of sustainable places and I I think that's one cool thing about restaurants in Arizona is the people that are invested in what they do they care more than just making food they care about the community how they affect the community how they affect the planet how they get their message out how they Mm -hmm. mentor other people and it's not, there's nothing selfish about how people run. We're not in competition. I don't see restaurants in competition with each other. Maybe there was a time it was like that, but now it's like we support each other. That's been a, yeah. that's been a shift. That's yeah. been a change. When, when I started out in this venture, it, <clears throat> I'm cooking, the, it was chefs were catty. You know, we used to make jokes about that, like eh, another chef and his chef whites, and you know, chefs will walk down on the opposite side of the hallway. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I've seen, I've seen again. I, I left for a long time. Coming back, I, I see, I see a burgeoning food culture of of all the things that Tammy touched on, and 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 it's 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 the same for me. It says everyone start, <clears throat> everyone, you're starting to see everyone care about it in a in a much different way. Yeah. Just more than just the food. How are we affecting the community? How are we affecting? the future of, of what we're doing and, and how are we, how are we helping pass on some of the things that we don't want to see crushed out? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> for me, that's the biggest thing. What, what is one of your favorite places? For me, it's kind of, it's, it's a duo, but it's a duo for a perfect reason. So I, I think Nobu Fukada does some of the most imaginative food. Uh, and I spent years in Japanese food myself, but I think he does some of the most imaginative blending of, cultural cooking uh eastern ingredients western application and and vice versa and and i think i think he he's been doing it for years he's been doing it since long before anyone was embracing that style again people were just learning away and bringing it back to do it to do it a traditional way i think he broke that mold and and that being said one of his offshoots is armand sagan i think he's by far and away one of the most talented chefs in in Arrows that I've ever met in general, but he happens to be in Phoenix at the moment. So, wow. uh, but he was sous chef for Nobu when they when he won James Beard at Seesaw uh, a long time ago, it seems now. But but the, those the way it's passed down in Daramon is again it's a, it's an, it's that generation of chefs, and you can see you can see just a profound desire and passion difference in food that mm-hmm. they put out. Yeah. And, and you spent some time at Roca Accor, right? I opened Roca Accor in Scottsdale, and I was the executive chef in oh, wow. Chicago. I opened the Chicago that, location I have as to well. tell you, when that opened here, you know, it was kind of in that no man's land between yep. North Scottsdale and, and Every, Old Town. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it was one of the best restaurants I've ever experienced in my life. And I think it was at the time, you'll obviously know, wasn't it the only Roca Accor in the States? It was the first Roca Accor yeah. in the States. So Roca and Zuma started as sister restaurants in London, and, and then we were all fortunate enough to be part of the opening uh, group of it. And like that being said, Armand Sega became the chef there after I left and went to Chicago. So it, it's, it becomes a tight-knit group. You end up finding people that you want to spend time around. I don't want to just spend time around chefs. I want to spend time around chefs that think and feel and live their lives just yeah. like me because then it doesn't feel like a chore when her and I are driving <clears throat> two and a half hours northeast of here out to the middle of nowhere to possibly, did we get anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got some stuff. <laughs> but, uh, to, but to possibly come back with nothing. But you know what? I came back with ideas and outlooks on food that maybe I didn't quite have at that point in time and, and, and things are different. It's, I'm not going to think up and discover things all on my own. <clears throat> and that's the thing about it is like-minded professionals. I've been social networking before it was, ex- before it existed on a yeah. computer. So <laughs> the, the best way for me is talking to say, Hey, let's meet up. Let's go for a hike. Let's, let's, let's go have a chat. And again, just like I told, said people, we can find out who's going to be an outcast quickly in our kitchen. I find out quickly if someone's ever going to come hang out with me again or not. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, what is, uh, last question for me, I'll ask both of you, what, what's your favorite dish here that you've created and what's your favorite dish at your place and here since we're at Cartwright's? Oh, my God. I only ate here once. Yeah. <laughs> I came up for a Brit's dinner. like, I remember that one time. I had awesome tacos at Helio last yes, week. Rabbit and who knows, goat cheese and chicken. Chorizo is my favorite. Some kind of jam that was delicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, for me, I, I can't say there's a favorite dish that I cook. I don't think there ever has. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people I have to constantly be creating or my mind will explode. <laughs> like, right, that's how our taste... Constantly <clears throat> doing something. For me, the favorite part, I think, of the menu is our tasting menu, and my tasting menu is not defined, and it's not printed, and that com- that goes back to Japanese food, and that's where I learned a whole different approach to the kitchen and a whole different approach to tasting menus. And, uh, and you know, in Japanese food and culture, we call it omakase, which means to trust the chef, and you never see your menu printed yeah. down, and that's all I want to do at Cartwright's, is do a desert omakase or a destination restaurant, 
I, I like I said, I, I want people to come. I don't mind when they come for dinner. That's great. And you're, I've, I've got a burger. You can come and snack on it. It's different than everyone else's burger. But but I want you to come. If you're coming for dinner, come for an experience mm-hmm. and come and stay a long time. <clears throat> and that ties right back into those roots of how we can apply that here. Trust me. I know you don't know about it. I know I know you might not know much about foraging. You might not know anything about farming, and that's okay. Trust trust us. Trust me that these guys have all dedicated their lives to it. All of these guys either want to work here for the rest of their life or they want to open their own place with a very similar style concept. <clears throat> trust trust us. Trust our servers that they're passionate about their jobs. They're, they're career servers. They're not just here to make a buck. They, they love food. They love serving. They love customer service. They love hospitality. So trust, <clears throat> trust in that whole process of everything. And then, you know, Tammy touched on being an artist. That just trust us and listen to the story and look at the story on your plate and, and you'll quite see at the end that we don't send many people away upset. I, I tell you, anybody listening to this podcast is stupid if they don't come up here. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I, I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. I think it, that's it great. It is so uh, enjoyable to be a part of, of a community and not necessarily be a part of it, but to help elevate it sure. and get the word out. And when you meet chefs like you guys that really have such a great passion behind everything you want to put that that mm-hmm. trust and i i do want to come have that experience yep. and, and let you take me on a journey sure I'm, my god i'll, I'll be i'll be here in the next week for sure perfect i'll be here too <laughs> <laughs> well you know and i've said this a few times over the last few uh episodes is it seems like all of these scenes in arizona are coming up at the same time right craft beer mm-hmm. like you know i mean there's maybe of the hundred breweries maybe 30 of them have been open for more than five years. Right. Right. So all brand new coffee places, distilleries, wine, uh, wineries. So all this whole scene is coming up together. So I think it's really cool. And, I, it, I and, again, and, and things take time. I've watched the Arizona yeah. wine scene burgeon from the late eighties and the early nineties, you know, with the yeah. original vineyards down in Wilcox and Cochise County and, yeah. and, you know, South and Sonoida and, and, you know, the Callahans and all, all of those original vineyards, they paved the way. They paved the yeah. way for something better. They exposed something. And, and look, it's maybe taken 20 years, but look at what it's creating. You yeah. have Cottonwood now. Cottonwood? Yeah. Cottonwood was nothing yeah. when I was a kid. It literally, quite literally, was nothing. There was, there was not anything to do there. There was no, they're building a whole economy there. Oh, there's hotels, there's restaurants, there's vineyards, there's tasting rooms. With that comes other things because you need people to staff those. So we're going to need homes. We're going to need schools. We're going to need hospitals. And, yeah. and that's keeping it local. It, any chef can buy anything good from anywhere in the world, but how are you impacting the people that, that you're, this is your platform. How are you impacting the people that you're feeding your food through? Is yeah. it just a good meal or is there something more to it? Right. Do you, do you carry a lot of Arizona wines here? Yes. Oh. I know so you guys have hear. a great, you have a great rotating Arizona tap list. Yep. Um, great whiskey selection as well. Right. And I, I the biggest thing <clears throat> with my, my tasting menu is obviously we've exposed people, but people are, are coming for that. But we do drink pairings with it. So we don't just say wine pairings, but, you know, for the additional, you can have drink pairings. So then from there, we figure out, are you a beer person? Are you a wine person? Are you a, cra- a cocktail hmm. you know, type person? <clears throat> and then we can come up with their drinks for each course, uh, depending on what their, what their desires are. And if they're wine people, we do all Arizona wine. Wow. And because why we have people constantly coming from places that one have no idea about it yeah. or two, they've heard about it and they think they don't like it because they've had one from somewhere that they didn't like at some point in time. So by the time we get done with the dinners to have people transfixed and their whole minds changed yeah. on Arizona wine, man, I can go home and hang my hat up on that yeah. any day of the week. Mostly probably goes to cover my eyes and see if the sun doesn't wake me up at four in the morning, but I'll go somewhere yeah. and I'll be proud. Yeah. So I, at the end of the day, it's, I, I want to be proud inside of myself for how I'm doing things. I want to be happy with myself. I want to be a good example of a father and, and show my kids the way I know how to do things. And this, this ended up being the way I, I, my outlet is maybe my kids do something different, but hopefully they learn something through this and the way yeah. that they're growing up. Yeah. This, this younger generation is, you know, the, the millennials are experiential 
it's, I mean, that's almost like the motto of that generation. Right. Oh, yeah. And I, I hope you're getting a lot in here. Mm-hmm. Again, if, if you're not, then it's, everybody's missing out. I think like everything takes time and everything in, in our first year of business, we've seen such a demographic switch that people realize like, oh, if I'm on, if I live on Scottsdale in the 101 or I live on Frank Lloyd Wright or I live on Indian Bend in the 101, it takes just as much time to get to downtown yeah. Phoenix as it does up here. If you get it at the right time of day, you have a much more pleasant drive to my restaurant. And again, that's true. I think your experience, yeah. I think your experience on this end will speak for itself. And that, yeah. that, that's it at the end of the day is, yeah. is, is it's, it's not that far away. It's just the opposite direction that most people typically think of going. But it, if you have a destination in mind, then wander a bit on your way up here. Yeah. I've got no reason. I'm like half hour yeah you're there so you close from I am here i'm close. surprised you haven't been this way i know i know well, now you'll have a date <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh well, this has been great man oh, i really th- appreciate it appreciate yeah. you guys coming Absolutely. i mean the best thing i can do is have people listen to the story and hope they yeah. uh bite on it and smell this funny. again it's just you, you, you if you come I, i'm confident once you come to the restaurant just come on up yeah yeah. Well, I, I want to thank you guys for letting me be a part and, and hear your stories. And Thank you. I, again, we, we'll do everything we can to, to support the business and help you grow. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Yeah. So uh, website? What's your guys' website? Do you know? uh, CartwrightsModernCuisine.com. Okay. All right. Perfect. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Dot org. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tammy, thanks for joining. No problem. And My if pleasure. things go well, this won't be the last time you hear from Tammy, right? He's trying to talk me into co-hosting. Ooh. No. Hosting? Hosting, being one of our hosts. I know nothing yeah. about so we're electronics. <laughs> you don't need to. All you need to do, yeah. Her There's only no concern. camera. You don't have to worry about Burn your hands. everything down. Yeah. Her only concern was, she's like, I might have to tone down our, my language. I'm like, fuck, no, you don't. No. You don't have to, yeah. There was only it's one. 2018. So no. if, it's, if it's up to me, you're going to be hearing a lot of crazy shit. That's what we want. In the underground scenes of... Perfect. Culinary yeah. world nice. in Arizona. Oh yep. We're we're gonna do some podcasts in the middle of the desert. Nice. Yeah. In the middle of the desert sun when we're all dying. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. It'll be yep. eight thirty so. in the morning. <laughs> 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 I'm like looking at him like I ain't going, but uh, I and will. I, and I'll I'm be. looking at the setup. You don't need power, right? No, 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 no so power. There you this go. Is all Podcast while going a hundred miles an hour down a. Rocky Road. In the truck up at Seven Springs Road. Yeah. Right. Have fun with that one. <laughs> I don't know if you ever listen to Brew Trails. So Brew Trails is uh, Nick. Have you ever met Nick from Dark Sky? I haven't. So there's Ryan and Nick, the, okay. uh, the two main dudes. Um, Nick has a podcast. Um, and it, he just kind of does it whenever. Uh, but uh, but he had an episode where he was foraging for wild beaver yeast for like this, they were what they were doing. And he... Was video it's a or new one was, for me. I know. <laughs> yeah. So. Is it yeast from beavers? Like actually? <laughs> As I said it, I realized how weird it sounded. But yes, wild beaver. Dude, yeah, it's a thing in Canada. Yeah. yeah. Is it okay? Yeah. So really. So he's doing a podcast as he's falling down the hill. Like you hear oh like the God. thing. And he's like, okay, I'm good. I'm good now. Um, I fell down the hill. Uh, but that's what I expect from from Tammy's episodes. But yeah, we want to start a, uh, a food podcast. So uh, I just so can't yeah. get out of my head extracting beaver yeast. I don't, I, I don't know how you'd harvest that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to correct that. Um, I might edit that out. But I'm about 98% sure that that's what it was. So from a beaver. Uh, no, not, never mind. Let's yeah. just, we'll just move on. <laughs> so, uh, well, go to azfoodandbeer.com, tap that az.com. Tammy is awesome.com, right? Is that your new website? I think no. it has something to do with me and a machete chopping yes. people down at yes. the Arizona food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Have you seen that picture? I have not. I want to put it on a t shirt. He's a t shirt guy, too, so maybe he can make that happen. Yeah. Of her and her, it was like, like a leather. Eat cactus or die. I'm pretty yeah. sure that it says. She's got a big machete. She's just doing it. It's perfect. So, uh, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, get up to cart rates right now. How about a cheer? Cheers to the shop for providing this beer. Absolutely. And do you have another cheers? Uh, That's it. That's it. All right. (laughs) I just want to get the clings for the radio. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Perfect.